Hello and welcome to the Football Digest to the Podcast Football Extra Digest Time. Podcast I'm your host, Carl Bromley, and I'm joined today by Ned Keating. Ed, Ned, there's only one place to start get your this podcast from, with, and that's yesterday afternoon. Thrilling North London derby. 2 2. It's everything I think a neutral fan would have wanted. What about you, though, as a Tottenham fan? Was it what you wanted? Are you happy with the draw? Are you maybe disappointed that you, you couldn't find a winner in the end? Yeah, I suppose you do have to start this with the caveat, as you said there, Colin, that I am a Tottenham fan. So, of course, this might come slightly uh, one-sided for, for any Arsenal fans that are listening. So, of course, get involved and tell me that I'm completely wrong uh, with my opinions here if you are listening along. Um, but in terms of the match, uh, there was still... It's a it's a good point for Tottenham. Of course it is. You know, our recent record at Arsenal is appalling. I think we've won twice in 31 Premier League visits that of course football did exist before the Premier League but I didn't so that's what we're going to go along with uh, yeah two wins in 31 visits there so it's an appalling record uh, so anytime you even take a point away from it it is always uh, a, a positive for sure I'll be honest I, I went into the game kind of fearing the worst a little bit in terms of Arsenal are a lot further along on their journey as a team and their development than, than Tottenham are we're still in the infancy we're, we're not even what, you know, three, four months into the Ange Postacopia era, Arsenal are approaching four years into the Mikel Arteta era. So, of course, they are further along with how they want to play, their understanding, et cetera, et cetera, their knowledge of, of one another as well. Because that team as well, yes, they've added Declan Rice and, and a few others in the summer, but but that team has been, you know, around for, for over a season. Uh, lots of the players for Tottenham yesterday were experiencing the North London derby for the first time, you know. I think it was only Christian Romero and, and Hume Son that, that featured in the last trip to, to the Emirates. Um, so that, that tells you all you need to know about where this team is. But to twice go behind and to respond the way that they did and, and you know, show good character and, you know, perhaps a, a Tottenham team in, in recent seasons that would have gone behind twice with a little bit of hedge drop and, and whatnot. We didn't see that yesterday from Spurs. We saw this constant belief and we've seen that under Andrew Postacopoli quite a lot of times as well I think it's four out of six Premier League games that Tottenham have gone behind in and they're still unbeaten so obviously there's a lot of belief within this side that it doesn't matter we're still finding a way to get back into this game and, and that's what they did you know let's be honest Arsenal didn't play their best yesterday they had opportunities to kill the game off as well you know James Madison being robbed of the ball in his own box with the score at 1-0 Gabriel Jesus shows a bit more composure there and, and gets the ball on target uh, rather than blazing it over and, and makes it 2-0 then I don't know if Spurs come back from that 1-0 away from home is a lot easier to come back from than, than obviously 2-0 is um, so you know as I said there I think Arsenal will be disappointed with that performance I think they could have played better they they pressed really well off the ball but on the ball I think they were they weren't at their best so of course they'll they'll be disappointed with that but that shouldn't take anything away from Spurs the, the character that they showed in that game is massively different. And this is the reason why I think a lot of Spurs fans are a lot more positive about the team this year is that it's it's massively different than what it's been in the past that they can, you know, difficult situations, they'll like, find whatever, we'll score a goal and we'll get back into the game. And that's what we saw from Spurs yesterday. So I think on reflection, yeah, the draw was probably a fair point um, and a fair result for both sides. But both of them will kind of just be thinking, all right, could have been this, that, or the other. You know, they'll, they'll kind of have moments where they think they could have perhaps got the win instead. Do you think with Arsenal now four points behind Man City, Tottenham, you know, have had a pretty decent start of the season. Do you think that these two teams, the trajectories where you'd kind of expect them to be at this point, or Spurs a little bit further ahead and maybe Arsenal, because they are four points behind Man City, they'll feel as though they've had a poor start of the season, even though they've not lost a game? I think it's been a bit harsh on Arsenal to say they've had a poor start to the season. You look at who they've played and they've played 
um, you know, good sides. Yeah, they'll be disappointed with the drop points against Fulham, understandably. But it's hard to, I think, especially at this point, what are we, you know, six games into the season? Yes, City have won every one of them. Uh, and I fully expect City to keep on winning. You know, that I'm, I'm not giving this answer in the thought that someone can catch City. I think, you know, they are going to pull away this year. And I, I don't think, you know, I don't know, maybe Liverpool are back in the mix as well this year. Uh, but I think City will, will be a dominant force completely. That being said, you know, six games, it's like, you know, when you start the 400 metres and they've got staggered starts and then it kind of, it only takes until you have to get around to the final 100 metres or 400 metre race before you actually get a real understanding of who's where and how they're doing. So I think after six games, because no one's played who, what, where, and when, you know, even Tottenham, who have we played at this point? Yeah, we've got a good result against Arsenal, but, you know, we've beaten a poor Manchester United side. And then the, the rest of the teams that we've beaten so far on in the top half of the table, I think I could be wrong there. There might be one that slipped in that maybe is top half, but but the teams that we've played so far aren't perhaps the most challenging fixtures that we've had. So to make assumptions, I know it's the game that we're in and, and it's what we do, but I think we kind of have to wait a little bit longer. Yeah, you know, even Manchester City, who have Manchester City faced so far as well? That, that has to be the question in, in terms of their six wins. I think we'll know a lot more, perhaps maybe, you know, I wouldn't even say going into the October international break because that's only a couple of weeks away, but I'd say going into November would start to really start to get an understanding. But I think in terms of, assumptions in the season we'll probably have to you know you won't start getting a fair reflection of who's where and how they're doing you know again probably until we, we get to the 19 point mark and everyone's uh, 19 game mark sorry and everyone's played each other once and like I say it's like that 400 meter race you know you can have that staggered start and you can look like you're out in front and doing really well but actually once we get to that final 100 meters that's when we start to really see who's doing better have they had a good start have they had a bad start have they got ground to make up um, and and it will be exciting to see that I think you know I think there's there's perhaps, you know, last season we only had two teams in the title race. Again, I'm saying this with the full expectation that Manchester City are going to perhaps walk away for the title. But I think Liverpool are back in there now with Arsenal as well. So that if City do have a blip, do have a slip, maybe it's three teams we're looking at perhaps in the title race this year. Even though I don't expect there to be a close title race, we might have three teams that, that have aspirations and hopes. Um, and, and it's those three teams after Liverpool, Manchester City, that I think we have to wait a little bit longer before we can start saying kind of who's where, how they started, how they're getting on, will they be happy uh, and, and everything. Like I said, you know, it's a 400 metre race. One might be in lane nine, one might be in lane two. And we kind of just have to make that little bit longer before we can uh, can we see how they measure up to each other. The other televised game yesterday afternoon, Newcastle smashed eight past Sheffield United. And um, I was out during that game and I just looked at my phone and I saw it was six nil. And I was like, what on earth is happening there? But Newcastle played amazingly well, considering the the big knock on their chances this season is the fact that they're going to have to play midweek Champions League games and they're not used to it. But they answered that with a with a bang, you know, seven points this week, a big draw away from home in Milan, and then to go to Sheffield United and stick eight past them. That that's a big statement from Eddie Howe's side, isn't it? It is, but at the same time, um, and, and I'm sure we'll come onto it a little bit better. I think the three teams that have come up this year into the Premier League, perhaps three of the weakest that we've seen for some time. Um, and Sheffield United, I know they nearly got the win at that top of the last week, so I'm aware of that, that they have shown glimpses of it. But there's nothing else for me to suggest that they're going to survive this year and, and to ship eight like that. Um, I'll be very surprised if, you know, on next week's extra time show, we're still talking about Paul Heckenbottom being Sheffield United manager at that point. Um, there was a lot of talk 
ahead of the game and, and in the past week or so about perhaps Chris Wilder coming back in there and, and, and taking that job. He was spotted um, watching the Sheffield United game at Tottenham last weekend. So there's noise around his future before the game. That noise is only going to increase here now after such a demoralising defeat at home, 8-0. You know, I mean, fair play to, to the fans. You know, they did, some Sheffield United fans did stick around to the end, even if some of them were reading books. But at least you didn't, you know, they can't say that you left early. Maybe she was hopeful that there might be a comeback or whatnot. So fair play to the optimism there. From Newcastle's point of view, they'll have tougher tests again. You know, uh, they'll be happy with how the week's gone to get a point in Milan. Um, I think it could be a tight Champions League group for them because of who else is in it. You know, Dortmund and PSG will take points off each other. Likewise, Milan will look to take points off Dortmund and PSG. So actually that point away from home could be really, really crucial for Newcastle come the end of it. And even if it's not to qualify for the next round in the Champions League, even if it's to get them into the Europa League, which is competition, I think they could feasibly, quite feasibly go quite far in if they were to drop into it again that point could be quite crucial there so for Newcastle it's it's been a, a good week as you say there you know this kind of this juggling act almost of of kind of getting used to the fact that they'll be playing midweeks again obviously they've got the midweek fixture coming up against Manchester City in the Carabao Cup we'll see how they fared there whether or not you know they they had a close game with them in the league obviously we'll probably expect a lot of changes from both sides because um, the respect levels for the Carabao Cup aren't perhaps what they once used to be. I know Pep Guardiola still will probably wants to try and win that from Manchester City, the one trophy to elude them last season. Nathan Jones uh, getting the better of them in the, what was it, the quarterfinal back in January, wasn't it? So maybe, I don't know, Pep might go full strength instead in that competition this year because he's so desperate to uh, to win every single trophy, collecting them almost like Infinity Stones. Um, but for Newcastle, they will face tougher challenges especially after Champions League games they will face tougher matches but you can only beat what's in front of you I'm sure the goal difference uh, you know getting nicely boosted and the attack getting a nice confidence boost as well with that with with the goals and, and scoring eight of them as well I'm sure that will that will help them no end uh, but for Sheffield United it's it's a worrying start to the new season I think for them and, and I kind of fear for them in the long term Yeah, I think them Sheffield United fans stuck around to avoid traffic. I think that was the thought process. Everyone else cleared off early enough. Uh, Manchester United, they eased past Burnley. And I think, well, maybe eased is a harsh word, but I felt that they were quite comfortable in that game. Uh, Bruno Fernandes with a stunning goal, possibly the goal of the weekend. I thought it was just an amazing volley, an amazing pass by Johnny Evans as well. Amazing that we're talking about him as a Man United player. Again, but that's a win after three straight defeats for Manchester United. And I think for Ten Hag, there was pressure uh, building a little bit on him. And that, that's been eased ever so slightly. But what do you make of Manchester United this weekend? And do you think this is maybe the beginning of a positive run for them? Back-to-back games against Crystal Palace coming up. So you think they've got a chance to win two in a row there? Well, that's it. It's almost like... A striker who goes a few months without a goal, I think. It doesn't matter how you win, just that you do. They did play well, as you said there. Um, you know, they were the better side, let's be honest. I was about to use the word dominant, but I wouldn't perhaps go that far on it. But they were the better side against Burnley. As you said there, a great uh, goal from Bruno Fernandes. Great technique from him, but a fantastic ball from Johnny Evans as well. I don't think the poor lad's got enough credit for that ball as well. Everyone's talking about the brilliant finish from Bruno, but a phenomenal ball from Johnny Evans as well. Um, and, and that's something that maybe, you know, 
we weren't expecting you, as you said, the, the year of our Lord 2023 and Johnny Evans is back playing centre-half for Manchester United and pinging balls like that out. But going back to the point I was going to make, it doesn't matter how they got this win, I think. For them, it was just important to get a win. You know, like a striker who goes months without a goal and it just goes in off his backside and then he goes on this mammoth scoring run and everything's flowing again. That's sometimes just what you need. You just need that one win, that one goal for a striker and everything just flows after that. So as you say there, you know, two games up against uh, Crystal Palace this week, one in the Carabao Cup, one in the league. Manchester United will hope now to then, you know, come out of that second Crystal Palace match saying, well, we've got three wins in a row and how the confidence is there and the momentum is back there. And then with that, you know, as I said, the confidence comes, the performance, they then start getting better, more fluid, more flowing, getting back to the Manchester United that we saw at times last season on their Oaks in Hag. Again, you know, you're right. The pressure has eased a little bit. Had they come out of that with, you know, uh, had they dropped points in that game, you know, even a draw, I'd say that they'd still be question marks hanging over Ten Hag's head. There's still a lot of work for them to do. Um, injuries aren't helping, of course, but even then, I think the signings that they made this summer, they're a little bit unbalanced when they perhaps, when they are perhaps at full strength, which is a concern for them going forward once they do have that fully fit squad back together again and playing. But for now you know, they'll be happy with that win, to get that win, uh, to get that feeling back in the squad as well. The confidence will be added there going into the games against Crystal Palace. And as I said, they'll hope to add two more to it this week. And then that's when the confidence and the momentum really, really starts to return to them. Do you think the talk and the, the noise around Manchester United, do you think that's been fair on Eric Ten Hag? Because last season he did such a good job and, you know, he got Man United back in the Champions League, won a trophy. It feels to me like, very early in the season, I know they've had an iffy start and that game against Brighton in particular was very disappointing, but feels a bit too loud around him. And I think a lot of talk of unrest in the dressing room and whatnot, I just think he deserves maybe a bit more time and credit for what he did last season. I just feel like the, the pressure could has maybe been turned on a bit too hot for this early in the season. I don't know. I think we have to put into perspective what he achieved last season like yeah he won a trophy and yeah he got me into the top four and when we look back at the history books that's all that will matter but he got into the top four ahead of a very very poor Chelsea side who looked very poor this season as well a very very poor Tottenham side and a very very poor Liverpool side an off-colour Liverpool side so was it that much of a good achievement look I know you know <laughs> you might think I'm being harsh here but I think if we put it into perspective any other season, I don't know if that Manchester United side would have got him to the top four had Chelsea been on form, had Liverpool been on form. Of course, look, you can only play what's in front of you. You can only beat what's in front of you. And Manchester United made the most of that. And I think Arsenal as well to an extent as well. They'll probably be like that 50 cent me. <laughs> Why is he mentioning me now? Um, but Arsenal to that extent as well. You know, to be in that title race and to be hunting uh, down Manchester City, you wouldn't have anticipated them to be there had Liverpool been on form, had Chelsea been on form. And that same point rings true for Manchester United in the Champions League. You know, of course, you know, yeah, again, you can only play what's in front of you and you can only do the best that you can do. And Manchester United's best gotten into the Champions League last year and Liverpool's best saw them miss out. So again, Manchester United were the better side last year. I think we have to say that. But I think all things equal, and I think where we've seen Liverpool return to form this year, Tottenham return to form as well, it will be more difficult for this Manchester United side to get into that top four. And that perhaps the levels that they showed last year and whether or not they've kicked on this season already, I don't know. But those levels might not be enough to get them back this. And maybe he didn't do as good a job as we thought he perhaps did last year. You know, huge credit for winning the trophy. That that goes without saying. And Manchester United have had gone too long um, without a trophy, of course. And to get them into the FA Cup final as well, terrific effort there. But I just wonder whether or not we were perhaps too quick to praise him. You're saying we're too quick to that criticise him this year and, and turn the pressure up. I wonder if we were perhaps too quick to praise him because you kind of, 
you know, you look at the context around that season last year, and I'll probably have a lot of Man United fans telling me I'm wrong and they play great football. But like I said, an off-colour Chelsea, an off-colour Liverpool, and an off-colour Tottenham. And yeah, all right, well done. They did get into the top four, but there were times, you know, that 7-0 against Liverpool, for example, the start of the season as well. There were warning signs there. And I think he's, even this season as well, the way that he is in the press conferences, he brings a lot of that pressure on himself, how he is with the players, calling them out and all that. That just invites pressure. You know, we never see, we rarely see, I should say, Pep Guardiola call out players. Of course, he did that with Rodri at the weekend, but that was, you know, fully deserved, I think, for Rodri's moment of madness. But, you know, even when the going gets tough for Pep Guardiola, he's very reluctant to call out the players. Likewise, with Klopp with Liverpool last year, as well, I don't remember too many occasions where he was like, ah, and moaning at the players and everything else. Whereas Ten Hag very quickly, it's not me, it's them, basically. Is and and that invites more pressure and more scrutiny and more criticism. So it's an interesting one. Um, but for now, as you said, uh, he's got the win. That's all that matters. And and the Wolves aren't as, at the door as much this week as they were perhaps last week. We'll move on, Chelsea. Um, are we seriously worried about Chelsea at this point? You know that that they're start the season the whole 2023 has been a disaster I think the second bottom of the 2023 league you know how what, what is Chelsea right now are they a relegation team or is that ridiculous to say no it is ridiculous to say they've got too much quality in that team and again I think we might come onto it later but there's no way that they're going down ahead of Sheffield United or Luton Town unless something miraculous happens to either of those sides and I think we can both nominate a third team that are far more likely to go down than Chelsea ever are but it is concerning, you know, just chucking money at the problem, more money, more money, more money, and it's still the same issue. Again, like Manchester United and how I think they approach this window, I think Chelsea are massively unbalanced, massively. You know, I just look at look at their forward line, for example. How many wingers have they got? They, they seem to collect wingers, again, like Manchester City collect trophies, and they're just like, but how do you fit them all in? Nicholas Jackson doesn't look like a Premier League player uh, at the minute. Um, he's not ruthless enough in front of goal and he's, you know, silly yellow cards as well. So that attack isn't clicking. The midfield, I don't know if they have that creative spark that they need in midfield, or at least if they do have it, how do they unlock him to his best potential? Who plays best with him? So they can't find that yet. I mean, they've got three left backs. There was three left backs on the bench yesterday and they're playing Levi Colwell at left back. There was Ben Chilwell, Mark Kukurea and Ian Matson all on the bench, all for different, you know, obviously I know that a couple of them perhaps kind of nursing their way back from, from injuries and whatnot. And Matson obviously is having been on load at Burley last year, he's trying to force his way into that squad. But how can you have three left backs on that bench that you spent, you know, two of them you spent big way, uh, big money on. Um, Kukurea as well, for example, is on, you know, a, a fair whack. I just don't know how you can have three on the bench and then go, ah, yeah, we'll play our centre half there. Like, uh, again, that unbalanced issue because, well, he's, not a left back, he's a centre half. So it it's really odd, really, really odd that Chelsea, um, you know, it, it shows what happens when you've got a scattergun approach to recruitment. I think, you know, oh, we'll just sign him, we'll sign him. How does he fit in? Don't know, we'll just sign him. And they need to work that one out first. I feel sorry for Pochettino because, you know, everyone's going to be looking at him going, well, why is it not working for him? Why is it not this and why is it not that? But, you know, like Ray Pop before him, he was just handed a hospital pass, I think, at this point. Um, and it's difficult because you have to get your ideas over whilst also trying to work out how to balance your squad perfectly with all these big money players that have come in. Um, 
it's difficult for Chelsea. I think it's another difficult season for them, but I don't think they'll be in the relegation mix, even if it does look slightly difficult for them after after five games this season. Yeah, I don't think they'll be in the relegation mix either. But I do think when they've only won one game out of six, you know, you can't keep losing home games against Aston Villa and Norwich if you want to have aspirations of even being top 10. Do you think Pochettino, I mean, last year they brought Potter in and that was the plan and, and they deviated from that. Do you think that Pochettino will get the necessary time? And when I say necessary time, you know, I think the Chelsea team needs years to to sort of sort itself out considering where they are at the moment. Do you think Poch will get, you know, this season, doesn't matter if they finish 13th, do you think he'll get given the time beyond that? Personally, no. I think if Chelsea are willing to spend a, a world transfer record fee on a manager and sack him six months later without any plan as to who's coming in, you know, they ended up with Frank Lampard as interim manager again until the end of the season. If Chelsea are willing to do that, then they're willing to do anything. And if Pochettino isn't getting the results, then maybe they think, oh, well, we'll go and find someone who does and we'll just go through a revolving door policy, um, which isn't what Chelsea need, as you say there. He needs, this is a long, long project for Chelsea to get back to where they are or where they want to be, sorry. And it's difficult to see how a revolving door process around the manager would, would aid that. But as I said there, if they're willing to spend the world record transfer fee on a manager and, and get rid of him without giving him the time perhaps required to get his ideas over and everything else, then <laughs> if I'm Mauricio Pochettino and as you say there, the, the form and the start of the season hasn't been great. Yeah, well, I probably wouldn't be too comfortable in my seat at the minute knowing what's gone before me. You know, even sacking Thomas Tuchel was a strange one, dialing it all back to, to this time last year. To sack Thomas Tuchel when they did after having him so heavily involved in their transfer business last summer was odd. And at least then they had a plan. They were like, no, no, we, we wanted to bring in Potter. And it was just a case of, we'll just bring him, him in now. And he seemed like the plan going forward. And then the plan changed and then it was Lampard and, you know, that season fizzled out. And perhaps maybe if there was a few more games, maybe Chelsea would have been in trouble last year. And then to go and get Pochettino, I don't know, it just... I don't know if Chelsea know what they want. I don't know if Todd Burley knows what he wants as, as, as Chelsea manager. Um, and the history suggests perhaps that if they're not comfortable with the results and they think that there's perhaps it's down to the manager, then I don't think Pochettino will be afforded that luxury of time that, as you say, he needs. And, and I agree with you, he needs that time, but whether or not he gets it, it uh, remains to be seen. And I wouldn't be entirely confident that he would get that time. We'll move on to Liverpool, a 3-1 win against West Ham. That looked like a potentially tricky game uh, for Liverpool, but they, they came through it with, um, well, I suppose, flying colours, a 3-1 home win. You can't knock that. Um, they've had a good start of the season, haven't they? I think most people kind of looked at them after last year and thought that just finishing in the top four would be sort of good enough. And, you know, at the minute, it looks like maybe they could be due. I'm not saying they're going to win the Premier League. I don't think they will. But they certainly look like the team who's the closest contender to Man City at the moment. The league table says that as well. But I think Liverpool have have impressed this season. I think that's what they've won every game since the opening day. So they, they're on a good run at the moment. And it's not even just this season as well. I think going back to, to last season, they finished that strongly with a, with a load of wins as well. So 
they're moving in the right direction. They're going in the right direction. Again, it's how early this team is. A lot of, you know, they still have a lot of players that have been there and done it before for Liverpool. You know, we talk about Alisson and Diet. You know, there's a lot of players there that have won the lot with Liverpool, basically, uh, aside from the the, the Europe, uh, Europa League. And maybe they can add that this year. Who knows? But for those new players like Shabrosh Loy, like McAllister, who is a World Cup winner as well. So again, he knows what it takes to win elite competitions. But there's a few new ones in there that they're still perhaps adjusting to. So you're right, you know, kind of maybe it is just to start the process here. Maybe maybe it comes too soon to challenge for the title. But they definitely look like they're back to the Liverpool of old. Um, the one concern I would have is the goals. I don't think they've kept a clean sheet at all this season. I might be wrong there, but I don't think they've kept one in, in the league so far. Even even on Thursday night, they fell behind to uh, Lask in Austria in the Europa League. So defensively, there is worries there, concerns there. Uh, I'd say, and you know, when they come up against Arsenal, when they come up against you know maybe even Tottenham this weekend, a Tottenham side who likes to attack as much as as Tottenham do, you might get a lot of joy out of this Liverpool defence that's looked a bit porous at times. The fact that they've not kept a clean sheet so far. So when those tougher tests do come, they might find they're going a little bit tougher. They'll like how the attack is clicking and the goals that they're scoring. And, and the goals for Colin is looking very nice for Liverpool at this stage in the season. But it is that defensive work, the fact that they haven't got as many clean sheets as they would have wanted perhaps at this stage of the season. That's the area perhaps of concern for Liverpool that they need to work on. And if they did tighten that up, well, then maybe they can go and challenge for the title. There's no reason why not. As I said there, you know, the attack's clicking, the attack's looking well and fine. So if they tighten up at the defence... Why not? Why not go back to Liverpool side of old? You know, again, as I said there, there's a lot of players that are still around from that, uh, you know, trophy-laden spell a couple of years, two, three years for Liverpool. So why can't they? They've got the knowledge, they've got the hunger, they've got the desire back. If they can sign up defensively, why can't they go and challenge? What do you make of the goal they conceded yesterday? I mean, you talk about defensive issues. I thought that uh, Van Dijk was atrocious in his defending for Jared Bowen's goal, you know, like he, he allowed him to almost dive in the head of his foot to put the ball in the net. I just thought it was bizarre to see a world-class defender like Van Dijk get beaten to the ball in that manner. Twice in the space of, what was it, 10, 15 seconds, Jared Bowen, who's not the tallest, not over six foot, wins a header. The first, the, the, the one, you know, he sh- the, the diving header for the goal, he showed great desire to get in front and great hunger and put his head where it, it could have hurt, very easily could have hurt. And to win the first header as well, to lay it off to Mikel Antonio to set that move up as well. Uh, great leap from him, I must say, for, for, for somebody who's probably about the same height as myself. I'd love to be able to leap that high. But for someone of Jared Bowen, and again, you know, if, if, if someone of my height can win two headers against Virgil van Dijk, yeah, you're right. You know, you have to kind of question it. And, uh, you know, my dad's a, a big Liverpool supporter and kind of we've been having conversations as well um, around it since the start of the season and he thinks that maybe the, the captaincy's weighing a little bit heavy on Van, Van Dijk this year, that he's not the centre-half that he once was and, and I think that summed up, as you said there, you know, question marks over his involvement in the goal. Um, you know, you can't let Jared Bowen win two headers against you in the space of 10, 15 seconds. I'm sorry, you can't. You know, when you're a centre-half and you've got that big advantage over him, so he'll be disappointed with that. And then the issue then comes is, yeah, my dad's not been, as a Liverpool fan, he's not been impressed with Van Dijk since the start of the season. So now the issue is, well, if he does keep causing issues for Liverpool defensively, can you drop him? He's your skipper. So that kind of, you know, 
I don't expect Liverpool to ever drop him. I don't expect Jurgen Klopp to ever drop him. I'm not, I'm not saying that he will, but it's just that kind of, if it does get to the point where he is becoming a liability, like, you know, having Maguire was at Man United, Eric Ten Hag showed a ruthless side and was like, nope, you dropped, don't care if you're the captain, out you go. But whether or not Liverpool would get to that point with Van Dijk and, and kind of if he was starting to, to cost them more goals than they would like, whether or not they would have to have that conversation kind of thing. You know, do we drop him? Do we take the captaincy away from him? Give it to someone else that he just focuses on defending again. Um, I'm sure he will find his form. That's not to say that he won't get back to his best levels at some point. He is still adjusting to this role. Um, but yeah, you're right. For for the West Ham goal yesterday, he'll look back at that and be very disappointed with how he defended. Man City uh, defeated Nottingham Forest. It was a first half, which was pretty simple, kind of what you expected to nil up. Then the red card happens with Rodri and... Um, you know, I, I think that we need to talk about the decision because I think it's interesting to see how Morgan Gibbs White reacted to it. He quite clearly uh, overreacted. He play acted, didn't he? But you also can't put your hands on somebody. So we'll, we'll touch on the red card decision to start. What do you make of that? Do you think Rodri was just naive, you know, in falling for the the tricks of Nottingham Forest? Or do you think Morgan Gibbs White should probably look himself in the mirror and think that was a little bit embarrassing the way I behaved there? Well, no, because you, you know you put your hands on someone's neck. Look, that follows it afterwards. But regardless of how he reacts to it, it's a red card. Doesn't matter if he reacts and pretends that he's gone down like he shot, like he did, or you know stands up and takes it. Hands on the throat. Hands on the throat. You're going down the tunnel, mate. There's no two ways about it. It doesn't matter how he reacted afterwards. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't great. Um, and and even you know, <laughs> Edison as well going head to head with uh, a one of you. It was bizarre. City had that game under complete control and lost their heads and nearly lost two players over it. They've lost Rodri now for uh, the Arsenal game as well, a key match coming up for them. Who are we going to have in, in centre-mid? Calvin Phillips? Uh, you know, we'd all forgotten that he played for Manchester City, I think, at one point. Um, Forrest have now laid down the groundwork, I think, for how maybe teams can get at, at City. You know, like teams that perhaps won't go there and... and Get you know, Forest weren't ever going to get anything out of that game, or at least you know, all things being equal, they weren't going to get anything out of that game. So maybe they thought that their best option to get something from the game was to wind them up. And they've shown Manchester City for every team that they're very easy to wind up now. You know, Rodri losing his head like that, Edison losing his head as well. Grand, I'll try me luck next week as well. Like it just, it's a weakness that City will be very, very disappointed that they've shown in a game which they just had completely sewn up. It was just mad. I just, yeah, and Pep Guardiola afterwards would have been so disappointed. And I think that's the only blemish that we've seen from Manchester City so far this season. You know, everything else that they've done to this point, six from six, looking like an all-dominant, all-conquering side. Brilliant. And in that moment of madness from Rodri, a similar moment of madness from Edison, nearly undone all the hard work against Forrest. You know, a game that they were in complete control of, they nearly let, well, they didn't let slip really in the end. They were still in complete control. But if you go down to nine men and then you goalkeeper, it's a different story. It was just, yeah, it, not something that we'd expect to see from this Manchester City side at all. Do you think Eddie Howe, ahead of the game on Wednesday, will have a name calling session in training? Do you think he'll be sat there being like, right, we need to come up with the best name caller, try and get under the skins? Try and get a man sent off early doors. It could be funny. But, you know, you said there, City six wins to start the season. Uh, they, they just seem like a juggernaut. I mean, you'd think the hunger, you know, after they've won everything at this point, the Champions League was the big thing hanging over them. But the fact that they were able to maintain this desire to continue playing at this level of football, I just think so impressive. And the way they start the season, after doing everything the last year, I just think is a real credit to the team and Pep Guardiola. They're a machine, aren't they? Let's be honest. They are just, that's, that's the one way to, 
the word that I'm going to use next, and I don't mean this, I, I understand how it's going to sound and the kind of uh, the, the pictures that it might generate. They are robotic, and that's not mean to say robotic, boring, dreadful. They are robotic in that they will go and go and go, and they are programmed so well and so brilliantly, and they will just play you off the park. We are seeing a team that probably would have competed quite well with that prime Barcelona team that, that Pep Guardiola made his name with in management. We are seeing a team that would have been an absolute match for that side. You know, Xavi Iniesta, Busquets in midfield, Messi, Thierry Henry, Eto up top. You know, this this team would have been a, a complete match for them. Um, and David Villa up top, sorry, as well for the 2011 Champions League final. This current City squad are as good as that side. I don't think anyone's got any hesitations in saying that. And they are just relentless, as you say there. You know, the impressive thing now is that hunger. They finally conquered Everest last year. They finally got that first Champions League title. And you kind of wonder, well, is it is it the same? You know, did they still have that desire, that fight, that passion, that drive? The answer is a resounding yes so far this season. They have been superb from the get-go. Um, and as I said earlier on in the show, I just don't see anyone catching them. We might even end up with a point where, you know, this City side could break the Premier League points record again. And they could get very, very close, you know, perhaps to, yeah, I mean, it's, it's astonishing to think that when they broke that record, they only dropped 14 points all that season. And I think that they could go even better this year. I think they can drop even less points. I think they are looking so, so good. The only concern is, of course, is keeping their head now going forward, as they showed on Saturday, that they do have that weakness. And perhaps, you know, as you said, their name calling might be the way to, to beat them, but all things being equal, if they do keep their heads, it's hard to see anyone beating this Manchester City side in their current form. I think the other thing as well is Erlen Haaland hasn't caught fire yet. And that's the, the scary thing. We'll, we'll finish off here though. I always like talking about the relegation battle. I think it's the most exciting thing in the Premier League. Now, the only problem is this year is that the teams at the bottom of the league just can't win a game. You know, we've got four teams still who haven't won a Premier League game yet. The newly promoted sides are filling the bottom three right now. Luton at the weekend, you know, playing against 10-man Wolves at home. If you were ever going to win a game in the Premier League, surely it's when you're against 10 men for 50, 60 minutes uh, at home, a team that's a, a poor Premier League team. And they came away with just a 1-1 draw off a dodgy penalty. I just, I worry that Sheffield United and Luton in particular, speaking as a fan of a team who broke Premier League relegation records twice in the past, I worry that we're looking at two teams here who won't get above sort of the teen level of points. I can't see them getting more than sort of 15, 16 points this season. It's just really concerning how poor... Sheffield United and Luton in particular look right now. I think Luton fans, it's different. They're, they're happy to enjoy the ride and what happens happens and brand let them crack on and enjoy it. You know, it's a, for where they've come from to where they are now, tremendous uh, what they've done as a club. So let them crack on and, you know, if they break records, I don't think they'll care too much. The fans, you know, it's a phenomenal ride. And I think maybe the, the players that they brought, they're trying to set themselves up to perhaps rebound next year, you know, kind of similar to what Burnley did when they came up in twenty. 14, I want to say, first time that they came up under Sean Dyche, where perhaps they weren't at that level, Premier League level at that point, but they signed the players to kind of get them back up from the championship so that they were ready for that for that next assault. So maybe Luton are doing that. Sheffield United, though, you know, having been in the Premier League a couple of years back, they'd hope to this year perhaps stay up. There are 
you know, things going on behind the scenes that have made it difficult to sign players in the summer, of course. But in terms of coaching ability, you know, it's all well and good saying that you don't have the quality of players, you can still coach players to be solid defensively. To ship eight at home is just inexcusable, frankly. Um, no defensive solidity. Newcastle played really well, but, you know, they just managed to make it look so easy against them. So that suggests that the coaching isn't isn't bad to where it should be. You're right. I think they both lack the quality to stay up this year. Um, I think we've had conversations away from this where, uh, away from this podcast where we both said that if Lewis and the Sheffield United were able to get 20, uh, 40 points combined, they'd be doing well, um, such as the level that we think that they will struggle this year. And again, that kind of opens the door then for maybe someone like Everton who who have struggled perennially in the Premier League and, and been far off what they should be achieving in such a story club. They got lucky last year. They got lucky the year before. Maybe Everton get lucky again this year. Two clubs that perhaps look like they could be down by Christmas um, and just one spot to play for. And then, you know, that that that's a not nicer prospect than having three spots to worry about. Um, long, hard seasons, I think, for Luton and Sheffield. You know, I don't think Luton fans will just enjoy the ride throughout and, and who can blame them for that? Like I said, you know, where they were eight, nine years ago playing non-league football to now. Phenomenal ride, phenomenal journey. Enjoy it. Enjoy every second of it. But for Sheffield tonight, thanks. I think they'll be a little bit more disappointed having been in the Premier League a little bit more recently than Luton have. Burnley, do you think they've got, a, they, they seem to be a little bit, I don't know they're on the same points, but they just seem to have a little bit more about them than the other two. Do you think they'll possibly have enough to just about steal? Who knows? We've, you know, going back to my 400 meter analogy, maybe we'll have to wait a little bit longer in the season before we make assessments on that. But I think, Perhaps, again, we were a little bit too quick in the summer to rush to praise Vincent Company and the job that he'd done at Burnley. Um, you know, he didn't do a great job at Anderlecht, quite frankly. Um, so maybe we were a little bit too quick to rush there, but who knows, he could keep him up and, and does a phenomenal job and then kicks on from there. But for that last spot, maybe, that I'm already, you know, having already condemned Luton and, and Sheffield United for the relegation for that last spot, I think we'll have to, to see. I think there's, you know, plenty of candidates. We're not even major Bournemouth yet, and they're yet to to win uh, in the Premier League under the new manager and Donny Arola. So maybe they might get sucked. Well, I say sucked into it. I think they are into it already. Um, so maybe we've got six or seven teams fighting for that last spot and we'll just have to see how the season unfolds. Yes, it will be exciting, I am sure. Ned, thanks for joining me this morning. Thanks to everybody for listening and enjoy the rest of your week and all the football we've got coming up over the next seven days. 